0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show We begin tonight with one of the most famous voices and characters in the entertainment world Orson Welles, starring in The Lives of Harry Lyme, an old-time radio program produced in the United Kingdom from 1951 to 52. Uh, Orson Welles reprises his role of Harry Lyme from the celebrated 1949 film The Third Man. The radio series is a prequel to the film and depicts the many misadventures of con artist Lyme in a somewhat lighter tone than that of the film. The Adventures of Harry Lime was one of the most successful series created by prolific British radio producer Harry Allen Towers and his company, Towers of London. What a talented man Oscar Wells was. An actor, director, writer, producer, who is remembered for his innovative work in radio, theater, and film, considered one of the greatest filmmakers of all times. In 1938, his radio series, The Mercury Theater of the Air gave Wells the platform to find international fame as the director and narrator of a radio adaptation of H.G. Wells' novel, The War of the Worlds, which caused some listeners to believe that an invasion of extraterrestrial beings was in fact occurring. Although reports of panic were mostly false and overstated, they did rocket Wells to notoriety. His first film was Citizen Kane, 1941, which is considered ranked as one of the greatest films ever made which he co-wrote, produced, directed, and starred in as Charles Foster Kane. Wells was an outsider to the studio system and struggled for creative control over his projects early on with the major film studios in Hollywood and in later life with a variety of independent financiers across Europe, where he spent most of his career. In a development spanning almost 50 years, Wells, uh, Wells' final film, The Other Side of the World, was released in 2018, And thanks to the efforts of various parties over the years and a hefty cash injection from Netflix to get the existing footage out of rights limbo, a full version of the film which tells the story of an aging director struggling to revive his career has finally been finished. In conjunction, Netflix is releasing a feature-length documentary which covers the decade prior to Wells' death in 1985, titled They'll Love Me When I'm Dead it follows the late filmmaker as he struggles to get the other side of the wind made. I for one will be checking that one up. Now tonight's episode of the Harry Lime Show A Night in a Harem
2: Presenting Orson Welles as The Third Man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither Music by Anton Karras.
3: Most people, you know, spend their lives searching for something. For the girl of their dreams of the perfect man, as the case may be, for happiness, for fame and glory, for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, or just for the rainbow. My search has always been for the ideal sucker. Not just any sucker, but the perfect one. The sucker with a couple of hundred millions in his pocket an open mind and not too much brains. Well, last year in Paris, I was sure I'd found him. Sam Cordite, you've probably heard of him. Sam Cordite, the oil man. He actually wears one of those Stetsons, even on the champs d'Isay, and those shoes with the trick heels and a gold toothpick and a heart of gold and pale blue eyes as innocent as any newborn babe's. <laughs> Sam, I felt as though I'd struck oil myself. He was sitting in the Tour d'Argent all alone. I checked up with Claude on who he was. And now I was giving it the old dice come on. I wonder if you know how it works. It's a dodge for making the sucker speak to you first, which is always important. And what you do is sit idly, shaking some dice in a cup, sort of thing they have in most bars, and then you drop one of the dice near the sucker and pretend you don't notice that you did. The sucker picks up the dice, or die if that's the singular, and returns it to you with a merry laugh, and that's how all the fun begins. <laughs> <laughs> Your on the mortine, it was. That was a nice ship, yes, sir. 1935. That's the last time anybody tried the old drop the dice dodge on me. Well, that's how I happened to get acquainted with Sam Cordite, the oil king. He was a mighty check grabber, so I took him around somewhat, but I can't say I took him. Not that I didn't try, but pretty soon the feeling started to press in on me that if there was a sucker in the party, it wasn't Sam. So that's how I happened to find myself late in December of last year in San Moritz. I was in the bar of the Palace Hotel. There, one of those places where everybody goes, that by everybody, that is, uh, everybody with a capital E or a capital body, Throneless kings and kingless blondes, movie stars and maharajas, and, of course, your old friend, Harry Lyme. Good evening, Mr. Lyme. Good evening, Staying you, with Luigi. us for Christmas? Uh, Christmas? Well, that depends, Luigi. Give me a stinger. It depends on what I find in my stocking. What would you say to a beautiful raven-haired princess with gray eyes,
4: princess.
3: a terrific figure, mm-hmm. and a tremendous bank account? Did I understand you correctly? Yes, sir, Mr. Lime, you understood me. No, I don't, I don't think I did. I I thought you said... That's uh, what I said, Mr. Lime. A beautiful princess with a bank
5: account. Very beautiful, account. Mr. Lime, and the bank account is enormous. There she is, sitting mm. over there.
3: Mm. Now I see what you mean. Who is she?
5: She's the favorite daughter of the Sultan of Kualapad. Princess Laila is the name.
3: She's been going to school here in Switzerland. All right, great. And now, how do I go about arranging to meet her, old man, after all, a princess? I can't just... I ask for a light to drop my pretty handkerchief. It's all arranged, Mr. Lyme. It's Lyman. all arranged. You have this on what authority, old man? Santa Claus? The princess has asked me to tell you that she's anxious to make your
5: acquaintance, Mr. Lime. Uh-huh. Here's your drink. And Merry Christmas. <laughs>
3: She had the big front suite in the hotel. It was full of hothouse flowers and there was the sound of music from a gramophone somewhere. And through the big windows, we could see the moon rising over the snow-capped elf.
6: And I don't want to talk about oil. Not anymore. Harry, kiss me again. Hello? Brussels? Oh, very well. Yes, Mr. Van Blicker. Yes, all right. I'll drive down to Zurich tonight and take the first plane in the morning. That goodbye. means you're going? Yes, right away. Ring the bell for the maid, will you, Harry? I oh, must oh, stop Sure, but ding.
3: when will I see you again? Oh,
6: soon, Harry. I have much to talk to you about. But well, tomorrow good. I'm in Brussels and perhaps after that Istanbul. Istanbul? Go to the concierge, will you, Harry, and see if the road is open to Zurich? Or perhaps there's a train. I'll meet you downstairs. What are you waiting for?
3: Why aren't you going to kiss me goodbye?
6: Well, there'll be time for that later, Harry, on the way to the station.
3: I have a naturally suspicious nature, so I checked with the porter. I checked not just about the trains for the princess, but about the princess as well. It seemed she was just as good as she looked. so There really was a kingdom of Kualabat, and Laila really was the sultan's daughter. About half an hour later, I found myself sitting next to a bundle up under a fur rug in one of those sleighs on our way down to the railway station. Moon was high up above us and casting an unnecessarily flattering light on the princess of Qualabad.
6: I'll send you a wire, Harry. If I have to fly down to Turkey, and then Turkey. maybe you can meet me in Rome. Would you be willing to do that?
3: Willing? I. For you, I'd go all the way to Kuala. Well,
6: that's nice. Because you may have to. <laughs>
3: Hi, boy. What you been up to now? Oh, I took the Princess Lila to a train, Sam. She told me some very interesting things. Sam. Yes, Harry, boy. Ever hear of a man called Professor Birdlake? Josephus Birdlake, the geologist? Why, sure. You you know about geology, too? Had to do with oil, son. I'm an oil man. Let's check up. What you want with old Birdlake? I'll tell you later. But uh, first, is he a good man? Well, son, I don't rightly know what church he goes to, if that's what you mean by a good man. But he knows where the oil is, and when he don't, he can make a mighty sharp guess.
4: is Professor
3: Birdlake to see you, Mr. Lyme. Birdlake? Oh, yes. Send him right up. This was the next day, and as Laila had told me on the way to the station the night before, Birdlake was coming to St. Moritz to see her. She'd left a note for him, introducing me and saying I could speak for her. Come in. Mr. Lime. Uh, that's right. Come in, please, Professor. You are Professor Birdlake. Yes, right? I take it the princess has already told uh, you... Well, she explained that uh, she and her father, the Sultan, had engaged you. Or Professor, please sit down, won't you? Thank you, Mr. Lyme, yes. I'm just back from Qualabad now, went oh, yes. to Zurich this morning. Mm. But
2: unfortunately, I missed the princess. She
3: had to get to Brussels to see Van uh, Blinker. Though so what she'll say to Van Blinker, I don't know, without having first seen my report. Your report, In her uh,
2: note, she says
7: that I'm to give it to you, Mr.
3: Lyme. Yes, but maybe you could give me now just a rough idea, first in layman's language. In uh, layman's language, Mr. Lyme, the news is good. Mm. Indeed, I think
7: I may say, without fear of exaggeration, very good. Of course, there have been only
3: a few trial drillings attempted, but the signs are excellent. Valabad in the next year or so is almost surely going to turn into the most important new oil field in the Middle East. The most important? Did you say the most important? Of the new fields? But that yes, means, it means uh, millions. Hundreds of millions, Mr. Lime. Billions. Uh, hello, operator. Uh, get me the concierge. I want to talk to the porter. Billions, eh? Not only for the old sultan either, but for whoever's fortunate enough to get the concierge Hello, porter. When's the next train to bustle? But by the time I got to Brussels, she'd left for Istanbul. A wire was forwarded to me from Switzerland. Dearest Harry, it said, Urgent you meet me Thursday, at your hotel Rome, love, Laila. So where do you think I was on Thursday? Hi, Harry, boy. How's Trayvon? Hello, Sam. I'm glad you could join me. How do you like Italy? Okay, Harry, boy. Not as pretty as Texas, but okay. Uh, Let's go up to my room in just a minute, Sam. I want to see if La'ila is... uh, uh, La'ila, you know, Sam, that Arabian princess I told you about. Boy, you really got it bad, don't you? Funny kind of Arab princess, that girl, I must say. What do you mean? Arab girls, especially down in that part of the country, wear them big veils and spend most of their lives in the harem. Lila's emancipated. Well, you can say that again. I mean, she's been going to school here in Europe, Oh, my old Sultan hasn't any male heirs, and she's his favorite. I know it sounds fishy, but it's true. I checked. So did You check on everything, don't you, Sam? Sure. I suppose you checked on me. Sure. Well? What's wrong, son? Well, if you checked on me, you must have found out some fairly unsavory little items. Sure. Sure. You mean you don't care? Don't care about what? Well, that I'm a con man? Even a crook, sort of? Why should I, Harry Boy? You ain't crooked or con me. Ain't nobody done that. Well, what about Laila? You see, you've checked on her. Don't now. worry, Harry Boy. Your little Arab lady friend with a college education is strictly okay. Yes, yeah, Sam, but okay, from your point of view, could mean so many different things. Okay, in this particular case, covers just about everything. Okay means she's an Arab named Laila, not a grifter from
2: Brooklyn called Sadie. It means she's just what you say she is and everything you think she is. It
3: means she's a sultan's daughter in the bee's knees. Come on, Harry Boy, let's have it a drink. It was late and I was tired, so I didn't notice that the door of my room in the hotel was already unlocked. I just opened it and walked in. Good evening, hey, Mr. Lime. Who's that? I'll explain in a moment, Mr. Lime. Don't turn on the light. Oh, why not? Just
2: lock the door. But why?
3: You heard me. Uh, okay. That's good. Now can I turn on the light? Certainly. It is very tedious talking in the darkness. Hey. Perhaps I should present myself. My name is Von Blicken. Oh, yes. Laila was talking to you on the phone last week. Your oh. pre- please sit down, Mr. Oh. Lime. Thank you. Now then My it will be road well road for road you, Mr. Lyme, if you are as candid and truthful as possible. Truth. Exactly what does your understanding of the princess like. Look you here, old man, before I start answering your question, suppose you answer this online. Just Who was it you were watching for in the street? uh, Of the agents, Mr. Lyme. The men from Great Eastern. Great Eastern Oil? They've been following you. And there is even the possibility that Barakin himself has sent opportunity Barackian. to say nothing of the Russian. Yes. Well, uh, you're still not making any sense, old man, not in my language, anyway. Now, let's see if I can not do a little guessing. You're all of you worried about the oil concession in Kualabad, right? Naturally. Yes. If the estimates are even half correct, yes. this is an affair as big as anything we've had
5: to deal with in this generation.
3: And you've got the idea in your heads, you and whoever these other characters are representing the other oil companies, that I've got an arrangement with Laila. Well, let me tell you something. You're right. I have. And if you're interested in buying into that concession, Mr. Van Blicker, you've come to the right room. Now... Harry, let's... boy. Oh, go away, Sam. Uh, I'm busy. Busy, son? Oh, oh, I see. you got company. Well, well, it old chum Van Blicker. How strict, oh, you Brad? two know each other. Hmm? Oh, you're, you're going, Mr. Van Blicke? I will get in touch with you, Mr. Lime, tomorrow. <laughs> Sam. Yep? I know what you're thinking, Sam. Yeah, boy? You're thinking I was going to make a deal with that Van Blicke and cut you out of that oil concession. Now, why should I think that? Well, so? I would if I were in your place, is what I'd think. What do you offer? You? Well, we haven't got to that yet. Yeah, I didn't think so. You see, with my influence on Laela, I forgive 10%, 10% for my part. <laughs> Sure, I know 10% of a hundred million dollars. Well, sounds quite a lot. Well, that's but enough to get by on son. Well, it is, Harry, boy, it is. You're treating me as though I was some kind of a crook, Sam. Well, aren't you? Well, not as far as you're concerned, I swear to you. Sam. I wouldn't care if you were, Harry. I'm broad-minded.
0: <laughs>
2: Time returns in just a moment.
3: Along as any other island in the world, but nobody gave it a thought until just recently, during all that excitement over the oil concession. And then suddenly, this forgotten little blob of sand—you have to look carefully on the map—for it became a sort of battlefield, the scene of an undeclared world war in miniature. Who do you think was caught up right in the midst of it? Well, who do you think? Sam and I flew down in his private constellation to the nearest airport about 70 miles down the coast. Sam's yacht was waiting there for us, and that's how we got to Kualabadi, in style. We were met in the port by some solemn-looking nabobs from the old sultan who told us we'd be received at court that evening. I was also given a note. It was from Laila. I will meet you, my darling, it began, in the courtyard of the Whispering Lions. I long to see you. Take the narrow road that leads from the street of the cobblers, turn to your left at the street of the builders of bird cages, and continue through the garden of nameless delight. I will be there when the moon has risen in the third hour. But be careful. The city is full of our enemies, and you are in great peril. Well, there was more of the same sort of lyrics, but you get the idea. I Was just reading it over when one of the nabobs, a particularly repellent old bandit with a moth-eaten beard and one glittering eye, the white of which was the color of café au lait, sidled up to me.
5: Mister Lyon. yes. May your shadow never grow less. Uh, what's that? May your back never bend. May your cheeks never wither. Thanks, old man. I ma'am. wish you a thousand suns. Okay, Chum. Chum who are you? This unworthy one, this despicable dog, is none other than Jacob Ben Ali the Grand Vizier to the
3: Sultan. Uh, well, Jacob, Old Chum, if uh, what you're. What you're trying to tell me is that you're a big shot. Big uh... shot? Oh, of course, it is an expression of the American. Yes, it is, it is that you
5: would say I am a man of influence. Yeah. Yes, the Sultan's right hand man, right? I, Yaqub Ben Ali Hamid, the Sultan's right hand, the Afendi chooses to not. Wait a minute! Don't get mad. It is just... the Sultan who is my hand, okay, left oh. and right, right and left. Okay, that. okay. My whim is his law. Oh, that's nice it's to know. Silly old son of an ass! I beg your pardon. I am speaking of the Sultan. Ah, yes, uh, He only smiles if I deign to smile, and when I frown, he trembles. Well, all this is very interesting, I'm sure. I it. mention these matters to the great American Lord Harry Lyme. May his beard never grow white, exactly. only well, to point out that when the time comes to discuss signing a contract for the oil concession... I
3: uh, clear it with Jacob. Jakob, being the Grand Vizier and General All-Round power behind the throne, which is you?
5: Which is, indeed, as the great Lord is pleased to point out to this
3: unworthy one, me. Okay, Jakob, I'll bear you in mind.
5: Inshallah,
3: mashallah, may your shadow never grow less. Same to you, old man. <laughs> I hadn't gone very far into the town. A big black limousine came up beside me and stopped. A red face was looking at me out of the window. It was Van Blecker. Ah, Mr. Lime. The pleasure's all yours, Mr. Van Blecker. It will be, Mr. Lime, with the contract for the oil concession is in my pocket. Just now, however, it strikes me that there are too many foreign visitors to this little country. I suppose you mean me. Don't say you haven't been born, Mr. Lye. May your back never bend, old man. May beg your pardon. May your shadow never grow less. This unworthy one throws himself in the dust beneath your chariot wheels and begs to remind you of an old saying among us oil men. Are you are talking Sadly, about? it is written, never count your gushes till you own the real estate. <laughs> Hi oh, there, Harry, boy, what you been up to now? The trouble with you, Sam, is your suspicious nature. You're I had to talk movie. to Van Blicker, but he started the conversation, Sam, and I haven't forgotten I'm working for you. We're going to get this concession, Sam, if it kills me. That night, at the appointed hour, and in the appointed place in the courtyard of the whispering lions, I met Laila. Harry Darling. Kiss me. What did you think I was going to do?
6: Did you hear that? That's a signal. A signal for what? It's my guard at the gates. The lookout. It means we're discovered. Discovered? All is lost. Who's discovered this, honey? of Ben Ali Hammond, the visitor. Oh, you mean old
3: dead Eye Dick? Tell him to go away, Loyola. We're busy. His
6: men are everywhere. In the streets, in the markets. Very probably they surrounded us here. For well, what of it? This is not Europe, Harry. There are no policemen here. Oh. the land of violence and sudden death. The agents of Ben Ali Hammond are fanatics. They think nothing of murder. You know
3: what that's got to do with us?
6: Not with us, Harry. With you. Ben Ali is the creature of von Blicker. He will stop at nothing.
3: Well, what do we do?
6: Take this. Put it on quickly. Oh,
3: an Arab disguise.
6: Here. I'll help you with the veil. You see, this way only your eyes are uncovered. No one will guess. I hope not. Now listen carefully. Yes? At the gates is an old woman, my trusted slave. She will convey you to a place of safety. Ask no questions and go in silence. It is your only hope. One moment...
3: Thanks, honey. You know know, something? That's the first time I've ever kissed anybody without first taking off my veil. It was quite a chase. Through twisting, shadowed alleys, torturously winding narrow streets, tripping over my pretty skirts most of the way. And the funny thing is, I never saw who was chasing me. Now, friends... It's too late now for me to pretend to you that I'm exactly a stranger to the confidence racket, and I'm afraid it's time now for me to make a little confession. The contents of this particular package is perhaps not exactly as advertised. I gave this tale, if you remember, a title. I called it A Night in a Harem, and it's conceivable that having heard that title, you may have expected something a little different from what you're getting. And if so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry anyway. Anyway. I did spend a night in a harem, though by the way they pronounce it harem. Foolish of them, but they do. And a dreary, a more uneventful six hours I've never put in. The only slow-eyed daughters of the East I ran into seemed to be the cook and her grandmother. And to that veil was a considerable inconvenience. Laïla's servant let me in, and after the six-hour wait I mentioned, Laïla's servant let me out. And then I was taken down to the shore and put in a rowboat, muffled oars, and all the rest of it very furtive departure for a big oil man like myself. Laila was the other passenger. Harry. Yeah, but what now?
6: I think there's something you ought to know.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: It pains me to tell you this, but you'll find out anyway. Okay, honey, let me
3: know the worst. After that night in the Sultan's harem, I'm ready for any disappointment. Well,
6: it's about the oil confession.
3: Mm-hmm. What about it?
6: While you were waiting in the
3: house. Yes, and by the way, what was I waiting for? I never even saw anybody chasing me.
6: The ways of the East, Harry,
3: are mysterious. Honey, they sure are. Or what about this oil concession?
6: The contract is signed, Harry.
3: Well, that's all right. Sam's a good guy. He'll see that I get
6: my cut. The concession didn't go to him, Harry. What? Vizzy and my father came to an understanding. We must not complain. These things are written in the stars. Blicker? Oh. Yes, Harry. It was Kismet.
3: Kismet? Who's he?
6: Kismet is fate destiny. They paid us ten million dollars, Harry, just for the option.
3: Then what was I doing all the time? Don't tell me. I know. I was being used to jack up the price. Oh,
6: Harry, what could I have done without you? I'm, I'm just a helpless young girl.
3: Mm-hmm. And what am I? Don't answer that either. No, I didn't murder her. I even let her kiss me goodbye, and as I went up the gangplank to Sam's yacht, she told me someday, when I knew everything, I'd thank her. Well, after I got my dress off, I met Sam for breakfast. Come on, cheer up, oh. Harry boy. You had nothing to lose, and you didn't lose it anyway. Ten percent of a hundred million dollars. You call that nothing? Well, nothing's just exactly what I do call it, Harry boy. Anyway, who ever mentioned a hundred million dollars besides you? Oh. Well, I don't... I, I don't know. Birdlake, for one. He, oh, him. But you told me, Josephus, Birdlake's an authority on well, oil. Well, well, well. well, let's celebrate. Celebrate? What's there to celebrate? Ten million cash just for a down payment. Yes, that's, that's why I'm mean. celebrating. But they got the concession. For what? For a sandy little old island? Even Lila doesn't stay on any longer? She can help? But Professor Birdlake told no, me... No, Harry, boy. Birdlake didn't tell you a thing. That was just a fellow that called himself Bird Lake Laila Hyland. He's a play actor from London. I checked. I checked on everything. I knew first, of course, even on the princess. But she is the princess. Sure, Sure, but being a princess don't say a girl has to keep from indulging her natural talents for the confidence racket. Mm. You know the old salted mind, dodge, Harry boy. I'm surprised that that you... You must have sold a few worthless oil chairs in your day. Then there's no... No oil in Qualipat at all. Of course not, don't you think I checked? Why, that dirty... <laughs> well, you can't blame her and the old man from persuading that that there is high, boy. After all, they got to live, too. Live on 10 million cash? Sure, sure, they'll get along, but why not... And now what happened? Well, I thought we'd just sail on for a bit and see the sights. I've heard a long lot about this here isle of the valley. That ought to be fun. And on the way you can try selling me some gold bricks, that ought to be fun, too. Come on, Di Harry boy. Bottoms up. <laughs>
2: Mary Lyme returns in just a moment.
3: San Moritz last week, and of course, I went to the Palace Hotel and stopped in at the bar for one of Luigi's famous stingers.
5: Ah, oh, Mr. Lime, how are you this year, Mr. Lime? I'm oh, fine, thank By you. By the way, the Princess Lila is here again. Oh. Yes, indeed, Mr. Lime, and looking lovelier than ever,
3: if that is possible.
4: Oh, she was asking for you,
3: staying over the
4: holidays. Luigi?
3: Yes, Mr. Light. May your shadow never grow less, old man. Pardon? May your beard never grow white. And if mine does, don't start calling me Santa Claus. No, I'm not staying over the holidays. I just remember an important date in Monte Carlo. And as for the princess, old man, you could tell her for me. I am sorry, Mr. Light. What's that last? Arabic, old man. Arabic. For Merry Christmas. So long, though. <laughs>
1: Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden, starring as Connie Brooks, the English teacher at Madison High. Our
8: Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Like many of her colleagues in the teaching profession, our Miss Brooks, Madison High School's English teacher, watched the year 1948 come to an end with mixed emotions. As she puts it,
9: Although the year didn't start off brilliantly or develop too sensationally, it certainly wound up in a blaze of nothing.
4: Uh (laughs) (laughs) Of
9: course, I did enjoy my two weeks' vacation. (laughs) In fact, I spent most of the money I was going to borrow in the next three months. (laughs) The afternoon of New Year's Eve, Friday, December 31st, for those that still can't remember, I was chatting with my landlady, Mrs. Davis. Well, Connie, I guess you've got big plans for this evening. Frankly, I haven't got any plans at all, Mrs. Davis. Of course, I do have a date with the bashful biologist. (laughs) Mr. Boynton, what are you going to do, Connie? Probably the same thing we did last year pool our money and go to Hip Sings for dinner. (laughs) Fine way to spend New Year's Eve. Two Americans go to a Chinese restaurant,
10: Dutch. (laughs) What are you going to do, Mrs. Davis? Oh, I'm going to visit my sister Angela. She's so absent-minded, poor thing. She'll probably be surprised to see me, although it was only last week that she invited me over. What time do you think you'll be leaving, Mrs. Davis? Leaving? For where? where? (laughs)
4: For
9: your sisters
10: For my sister's what? (laughs) For your sister's house Oh, Oh, I'm glad you reminded me, Connie I've been making
4: (laughs) I've
10: been making up my New Year's resolutions And that's the first thing on the list I've resolved to correct Angela's absent-mindedness Angela's absent-mindedness What else is on the list? What list? (laughs)
4: <laughs> Maybe I'd better
9: talk to Minerva the cat for a while We were talking about New Year's resolutions, Mrs. Davis Oh, yes,
10: I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention, Connie Tell me the rest of your resolutions Well, first of all, I was resolved not to... What resolution? Uh,
9: we were speaking of yours, Mrs. Davis And before you say my what I'd like to ask you again the question I asked when we were both younger
4: <laughs> Namely...
9: When are you going over to your sister's
10: house? Maybe you better not go out tonight, Connie. You sound very strange.
9: It's just the way you're listening.
10: Or are you, Mrs. Davis? Of course I'm Mrs. Davis. Uh, you lie down and let me fix you some hot tea. I don't want any hot tea. I just want an answer. Meow. Thanks, Minerva.
4: <laughs>
10: now about this
9: evening, Mrs. Hello, Davis.
10: Hello, Minerva. Want some milk, dear? Meow. Yes. I'll get you some in a minute. You were saying, Miss Brooks. This evening, your sister's house? Yes, I'm going over there tonight. I know, Mrs. Davis. Meow. Right away, Minerva. What time, Mrs. Davis? It's, um, a quarter of four now, that I'm always late. Get away from those curtains, Minerva. I'll fetch your saucer right away. Keep an eye on her, will you, Angela? I'll be glad to,
4: Connie.
9: Come on, just hop into my lap, Mrs. Davis. There's a good dog. This is getting contagious. Oh, coming. Excuse me, Minerva. Why, it's Monsieur Monet. Come in.
7: Merci, Mademoiselle. Thank you. It's nice you remember me.
9: Remember you? Why, Monsieur Monet, your Madison High's favorite French teacher. Oh, uh,
7: for that, Miss Brooks, permit me to kiss your hand.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
9: well, let's not give the other hand the complex.
7: <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> I, uh, I trust that I'm not arrived at, how you say, inopportunity time.
4: What?
9: In oh, a... <laughs> no, this is very opportunity time. Won't you sit down, Monsieur Monet?
7: Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. But now that I'm teaching in America, I would appreciate it if you would call me in America.
9: All right, what's your number? <laughs>
7: <laughs> no, 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 I mean call me Mr. Monet instead of Monsieur.
10: Oh, certainly. Here you, you are, he is a nice saucer of... Oh, I didn't know anyone had come in. This is Mr. Monet, Mrs. Davis, our new French teacher at Madison. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Monet?
7: How do you do, Mrs. Davis? I kiss your hand, madame.
9: I'll hold your saucer, madame.
7: (laughs) A lovely lady with a lovely hand. (laughs) (laughs)
9: Meow. Stick out your paw, Minerva, you're next. (laughs)
10: If Mr. Monet came over to see you, Connie, I'm sure he doesn't want to talk to Minerva. I'll just take her into the kitchen. Come along, dear. There's a good kitty. Come drink your milk out here. So nice to admit you, Mr. Monet.
7: Now, likewise, I'm sure. She's very nice here, Mrs. Davis. But why she ran away so fast? In the words of some of my pupils, why she took some powder and put it on the lamb? <laughs>
9: some pattern. Oh, you mean she took a powder or took it on the land?
7: May we. She flew out of here like
9: a bat out of Mr. The...
4: Monet. <laughs>
9: faster than your teaching. (laughs) No, Mrs. Davis was just being tactful. I guess she thought you wanted to be alone with me.
7: Alone with you? But why, Miss Brooks, I'm a married man.
9: Oh, I know, but Mrs. Davis doesn't know about your wife, Mr. Monet.
7: Oh, oh, Miss Brooks, I, I don't know what plans you have made for New Year's Eve, but my wife Elaine and I would be very flattery if you would join us.
9: Well, thanks, Mr. Monet. I'm flattery that you should ask me. <laughs> but as far as I know, Mr. Boynton is taking me out tonight.
7: Oh, then you both must come. You see, this is not an ordinary party, Miss Brooks. although we're all going to wear evening clothes and try to have the best possible time. Elaine and I, we realize that among school teachers, there are very few, uh, how do you call it, malted millionaires?
9: <laughs> Some of us are too thick to drink with a straw. <laughs> What you're trying to tell me is that the evening won't cost much money, is that right?
7: Oh, it will cost you no money, Miss Brooks, but there is an admission charge.
9: Kind pint of blood? <laughs>
7: <laughs> no, 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 just some old clothes. You see, I am in charge of a committee to send clothing to the poor people in France. Any sort of clothes would do, Miss Brooks. Anything that is made of cloth.
9: Why, that sounds like a wonderful idea, Mr. Monet. I'll be delighted to come.
7: And Mr. Boynton, do you speak for him as well?
9: Mr. Boynton has been spoken for many times. The trouble is he doesn't answer. (laughs) Oh, you mean about tonight. Yes, Mr. Monet. I feel sure I can speak for Mr. Boynton.
7: Oh, fine. I'll be leaving then.
9: I'll walk you to the door, Mr. Monet.
7: Oh, my address is uh, 9066 Schaum Drive. Try to get there before 10. And I'm sure that as my students say, we will have a ball.
9: <laughs> I'm sure that we will.
7: Yes, until tonight then, Miss Brooks. Stay in the groove.
9: Oh, natch, Mr. Monet, natch. And Mr. Monet. Yes? Don't take any wooden pranks.
8: Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will return in just a moment. But first, here is Vern
11: Smith. Ladies, regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care, doctors prove you too may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap.
12: But to win this lovelier complexion, the kind men admire and women envy, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive soap the way doctors advised.
11: Remember, 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advised 1,285 women, many with complexion problems, to use palm olive this way. Some have dry skin, some oily, some coarse-looking. Using palm olive soap alone, two out of three won lovelier complexions. Now, here's what the doctors advised.
12: Wash your face with palm olive soap. Massaging for one minute with Palm Olive's soft lather. This cleansing massage brings your skin Palm Olive's full beautifying effect. Rinse. Do this three times a day for 14 days.
11: It's that simple. But doctors have proved this way, using nothing but Palm Olive, really works. So forget other beauty care. Use Palm Olive soap alone for a lovelier complexion.
12: For loveliness all over, use big, thrifty bath size Paar in your tub or shower.
9: After Mr. Monet left, I tried to get Mr. Boynton on the phone to tell him about the invitation. But ours is a party line, a four-party line to be exact, and every time I picked up the receiver, it was in use. Always careful not to lose my temper, I sat by the phone and drummed lightly on the top of the table until my five fingernails were impaled in the mahogany.
10: <laughs> then
9: I tried it once more.
10: As sure as my name is Lucy Scofield, that's the only way to treat man, Emma. Believe me, if I had to do it all over again, Emma, I'd... Oh, excuse me a minute, dear. I think I smell my roast
4: burning in the kitchen.
9: Now that's a coincidence, Lucy. I smell my grapes burning in the living room.
4: <laughs> Hang
9: up now. I'll call you back. So much for Emma and Lucy. I'll try it again. Oh, it worked. At least I can dial now. I hope Lucy doesn't think Emma was kidding her.
2: Happy New Year, Daisy. Is Fred
9: there? <laughs> this isn't Daisy, and Fred isn't here. Will you please get off the line? Let I'm trying off the line. Just what I said. Get off this line. Oh.
2: Mrs. Telephone Company, huh? <laughs>
9: Look, this happens to be a party line And I happen to be the party using it at the moment
2: Oh, well, that's different If you want me to come to a party, I'll be glad to talk to you <laughs> My name is Frank Pollock. What's yours?
9: It doesn't matter, I only... Say, Frank Frank, are you still there?
2: Sure, I'm still there That <laughs> was mighty nice of you to call me, Daisy What do I think of the way I treated you?
4: The shameful, horrible way I treated you
9: Don't cry, Frank I had it coming Will you please hang up? Your bottle is falling out of the chandelier
2: Well, thanks, Daisy You're a great girl And tell Fred to give me a buzz when he gets in Bye now
9: (laughs) He's getting an early start when a body meets a body, he's had too much ride. Mm-hmm. Hello? Hello, Mr. Boynton. This is Miss Brooks. I assume we still have a date for tonight.
13: Tonight? Oh, this is Friday, isn't it? Yes,
9: December
4: 31st. Uh, 31st, eh?
9: Yes, you know, the day we celebrate the appearance of the first enchilada north of Laredo, Texas. <laughs>
13: I no, it's New Year's Eve, Miss Brooks. Uh, what are we going to do to kill a few hours together?
9: We'll think of something, you mad, impetuous boy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that's why I called. Mr. Monet and his wife are having a little impromptu party at their house, and they've invited us.
2: Uh, what kind of party?
9: Well, you have to have some old clothes, and then you should... Hello? Is that you, Emma? I didn't quite understand you before. No, this is not Emma. This is your friendly, cooperative, party-line neighbor.
4: Oh, the magpie.
2: Magpie. (laughs) Who are you talking to?
9: I'm talking to nonstop Nellie, the human dial tone. Now well,
12: will you, I've never heard. Will you
9: please stop this filibuster and get off the line?
12: Well, the phone company will hear about this.
13: Uh, are you there, Miss Brooks?
9: Yes, Mr. Boynton. As I started to tell you, although it's a formal party, we're supposed to have some piece of apparel that we can
2: Happy New Year. Oh God, who can? Well, who's that? Well, it's about time you got home, Fred.
9: That is not Fred.
2: Oh, it isn't, huh?
9: No, it isn't.
2: As Fred's oldest my closest friend, I demand to know who it is. <laughs> now, see here, old man. I'm not your old man. <laughs> I don't even know where your old man is.
9: I don't even know where my old man is. I <laughs> you're but I don't even know where my old man
4: is. Oh, look,
9: Mr. We'd better hang up now. You you can't, Daisy. You can't hang up.
4: Not without you. Tell me where my old man is. <laughs> Daisy.
9: Listen, Mr. Nobody Barney. Nobody wants to tell me where All
4: my old man is. All you have
9: to do is bring People some old clothes That's with, with you.
2: What's that? Oh I, I don't
9: God. hardly <laughs> it. <laughs> <being laughs> so you put tux, bring but some I old
2: clothes, and Daisy.
9: pick me up in a couple Even of, of hours. Even though I
2: gave you a only one deal, I'll see you later. i I'll introduce you
9: to Fred. Tell me
2: that. Who
9: oh, introduced you to Fred? You did, Frank, and I love you for it.
4: <laughs> if you don't
9: get off this phone, I'll have you thrown out of the bar you're calling from.
4: Bar? Uh-huh.
2: Oh, is that where I'm calling from? Bless you, Daisy. You helped me
9: find my old man.
2: <laughs> sure, he's sitting on a stool next to me.
4: <laughs> I better
9: hang up now. Fred hates it when I talk to strangers. Oh, Mrs. Davis. Yes, Connie. I wonder if you'd give me a hand. I've been invited to a formal party tonight, and I just don't know what to wear. Well, what have you got, Connie? Oh, nothing. That is nothing but an old evening gown I've had for five years. Well, come on into your room, Connie, and we'll look it over. Here we are. It won't take long to find in my closet. Well, let's see. Here's a skirt and blouse. The suit I got two years ago. Here's one of the dresses I wear to school. Here's the other one. Oh, there we are. My pride and joy. Why, that's real pretty, Connie. And look at the fringe. Silly maws, they left the best part. <laughs> While I'm in here, I'd better find something to donate as well. Donate? Yes, the price well. Find something to donate as well. Donate? Yes, the price of admission to the party is some old clothing. I know I've got some because I've been wearing it.
10: Oh dear, I forgot to tell you, Connie. But just last week, when the Goodwill truck came around, they pick up old clothes. too, you know? I gave away everything of mine I could possibly spare. Well, that's all right, Mrs. Davis. You're not going to the party. I know, but uh, I also gave away a big bundle of your stuff. You had it lying in the closet, and Mrs. I Davis, it... that was for the cleaners. I had some of my newest clothes in that bundle. Nineteen forty-five stuff. Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, dear. Maybe you can borrow some old clothes to give. Well, I guess I'll have to.
9: I know. I'll go over to the Conklin's. He's got one suit I know could use an ocean voyage. (laughs)
12: Come on in. Thanks, Harriet. Are your folks at home? Mother's out shopping, but Daddy's upstairs taking a nap. Come on into the living room, won't you? Walter Denton and I were just
14: playing it. Look who's here, Walter. Well, if it isn't my favorite English teacher... Sit down, Miss Brooks. Harriet and I were just playing Pass It. So she told me. What's Pass It? Well, it's a game we read about. Lots of high school kids play it. All you do is take a piece of Kleenex and hold it to your nose by sniffing. And then with both hands behind your back, you pass it down a long line of kids by sniffing it away from your neighbor. Oh. Sounds fascinating. But where's the long line of kids? Oh,
9: it's just as much fun with the two of us. More. (laughs) More.
14: Yeah, saves wear and tear on the Kleenex, too. Harriet and I go steady. That's why I'm here. But what brings you to the dread sanctum sanctorum of your school principal during a holiday? Please, Walter. You make Daddy sound like an
9: ogre. Yes, Walter. Just because Mr. Conklin is my superior at school is no reason for me to live in dread of him.
4: Harriet! Ah! <laughs> what is it, Daddy? I to be a little
9: more quiet, I've got to get
12: some sleep Sorry, Daddy We'll be more careful I don't think now is a good time To tell him you're here, Miss Brooks You see, he's going to a big party tonight And wants to get some rest Well, then maybe you kids can help me out I've just got to get
9: some old clothes somewhere right away Why, Miss Brooks? The ones you've got on look fine
12: (laughs) Thanks, Walter I think But I'm talking about clothes I can donate Golly, Miss Brooks Mother just gave away every stitch We could possibly spare to the Salvation Army Wait a minute Daddy's new tuxedo is being delivered today, and he's got an old suit of evening clothes that I'm sure Mother would love to see given away. Say no more, Harriet. Do you think you can get it without waking your father? Sure, it's right here in the hall closet. Here it is, Miss Brooks. This is the suit Daddy wore when he first became a principal.
9: Let me look at that. Hmm, I'll bet he was a sensation in these tales.
12: Why? There are three of them. (laughs) Oh, that's just where one of them is torn. You could patch that up in a jiffy. Thanks very much, Harriet. It's cloth anyway. Well, I'll be
9: getting along home now. Mr. Boynton's picking me up soon, and I've got to see if my evening gown still fits me. I've
14: had it for over five years. Oh, I think that's nice, Miss Brooks. What's nice, Walter? How you and your evening gown have grown old together. (laughs) Well, not that you're falling apart at the seams or anything. I mean... Well, to me, you're still all wool and a yard wide.
9: <laughs> you have just failed in English for 1949. Would you care to try for 50?
2: Uh, hello? Hello, Mr. Conklin? Yes, who's this? This is Kane from Kane's Classy Cut Clothes with four Ks. Oh, yes. Where's my tuxedo, Kane? You promised it to me by 5 o'clock. It's 10 of now.
11: Oh, that's what I'm calling about, Mr. Conklin. I can't get the suit to you by 5 o'clock.
2: You can't? Well, then when will it get here?
4: Next Tuesday.
2: (laughs) Next Tuesday? But I've got a very important party to attend tonight. Now, please, Mr. Conklin, don't yell at me. Yell at the lapel makers, you you. They went out on strike yesterday. But isn't there something you can do? Somebody who can fix this? calm yourself, Mr. Conklin. Even if I gave the suit to another shop to be finished, it wouldn't do any good. The Buttonhole Boys went out in sympathy. But <laughs> well, how could you.? Well, why do. When did this. No, no, no. How were you, easy, able, Mr. Conklin? Take su- it easy. My blood little... pressure is just <laughs> as high as yours. So let's be good to ourselves and exercise some control. Control? <laughs> but how can I. What will I. Even if no, I have. Now, there's no there's use no no both reason, of but... us aggravating. <laughs> uh, goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Happy New Year. Happy.
4: Harriet! Harriet! We're
2: here in the living room Harriet, I've had a great disappointment My tuxedo. Oh, hello, Denton <laughs>
14: Hi, Mr. Conklin We're playing pass it Want to sniff this Kleenex off my nose Onto your nose?
2: <laughs> I can think of nothing more loathsome to do <laughs> Harriet You know where your mother put my old suit of evening clothes?
14: Your old suit, Daddy?
2: Yes, yes. I've got to wear it tonight.
14: Oh, but that old evening suit isn't any good, Mr. Conklin. It would make you look like a, like a head waiter in a cabaret.
2: A head waiter in a That happens to be one of the finest dress suits. Please,
14: Daddy. The...
12: I gave it to Miss Brooks just a little while ago. She and Mr. Boynton are going to a party where you have to bring some old clothes to get in. What? That does it! Not only do my teachers openly
2: flaunt my wishes about fraternizing, but they take my evening clothes along with them. (laughs) Children, do you know what I'm going to do?
14: No, we don't. But I know one thing. If I was Miss Brooks, I'd hop in bed and pull the covers up over my head.
10: There. How does Old Faithful look on me, Mrs. Davis? Lovely, Connie. And fringe is more popular than ever. It's amazing what a tuck here and a stitch there will do. About what time did Mr. Boynton say he'd be over? About this time, Mrs. Davis. I'll get it.
9: Good evening, Mr. Boynton. Won't you come in?
13: Oh, thanks, Miss Brooks.
9: Say, that's an interesting overcoat you have on raccoon isn't it yes
13: it's a relic of my college days you mind if I hang it up here it's pretty warm
9: go right ahead Mr. Boynton then come on into the living room
13: all right oh there that's better well Miss Brooks you certainly look lovely tonight
9: thanks Mr. Boynton you look Mr. Boynton I told you we were invited to a New Year's Eve party didn't I
13: well yes you did
9: Do you always go to a formal party in white flannels with a blazer and a beanie? (laughs)
13: Formal? But you said you had to have some old clothes to get in. Some odd piece of wearing apparel is what you told me.
9: Oh, great. I hope your sneakers are vulcanized.
13: (laughs) I don't understand, Miss Brooks. Just what kind of a party is this?
9: It's a formal party, Mr. Boynton, but the price of admission is some old clothes to be shipped abroad.
13: Oh, well, I don't know. I don't usually go to parties on New Year's Eve.
9: You don't? Well, how do you like to spend the evening, Mr. Boynton?
13: Well, I usually have an early dinner, then catch the first show at the movies, and hit the sack about 10.30.
9: What does your doctor say about such carrying on? (laughs) (laughs) Look, Mr. Boynton, I've already accepted for both of us, and... Wait a minute! I've got a dress suit that might fit you. Then we can bring the stuff you've got on as our, our admission. Just go into my room, Mr. Boynton, and take off those clothes.
13: Oh, Miss Brooks, what in the You'll world? You'll find is... a
9: suit of evening clothes right on the bed. Please slip them on. Mrs. Davis. Yes, Connie. Have you finished sewing Mr. Conklin's tail together? Just finishing now, Connie.
10: Here it is, as good as new. It would make any head waiter proud. Oh, hello, Mr. Boynton. My, what a nice beanie. Three propellers. <laughs> I wish you'd
13: tell me what this is all about, Mrs. Davis.
9: Well, you're going to an ideal source for information. Just take this suit and put it on, Mr. Boynton, please.
13: Well, all right, Miss Brooks, but this is all highly irregular.
9: Now, Mrs. Davis, let's go into your room. I want you to fix my hair in the back. I'm wearing it up, you know, and it's not quite high enough. My goodness, Connie, how high do you want it? High enough so that I'll have to stand on a chair to pull it down.
13: doesn't fit too badly. I get, uh, Miss Brooks, I've got the suit on.
9: That's fine. I'll just be a few minutes. Oh, would you answer that, please, Mr. Boynton? Mrs. Davis is still rummaging in my
14: scalp.
2: All right. Oh, well, it's Mr. Conklin. Good evening, sir. Good evening. I'd like a table down front, but not too near the drum. <laughs> Oh, it's you, Boynton. Uh, uh, y- yes, sir. W- won't you come in? No, I won't come in. Boynton, how did you? When did you? Who
9: gave you? Why you know? On doing... New Year's Eve, ah. I'd swear that Mr. Conklin had come by. Oh, it is you, Mr. Conklin.
2: Miss Brooks, I demand the return of my evening clothes at once. Your evening clothes?
9: I cannot tell a lie, Mr. Boynton. Take it off. Take it off? Take it off. Well, don't just stand there, Mr. Conklin. Applaud a little. <laughs>
7: Get ready, everyone. It's 12 o'clock. Turn up the radio. Well, Miss Brooks, nice party, no?
9: Oh, very nice, Mr. Monet.
7: Ah, oh, but it's midnight now. The band is playing Orlang Lang Syne, and everyone should be kissing someone. Where's your Mr. Pointer?
9: Oh, haven't you heard, Mr. Monet? He hit the sack at 10.30. <laughs>
8: Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a
4: luster cream shampoo.
8: And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks.
9: Well, Mr. Boynton didn't show me such an exciting New Year's Eve, but we had another date the next day, today. After spending the afternoon at the zoo, we came back to my house. Uh, do you mind if I turn on the radio, Mr. Boynton?
13: Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks, but I'm afraid I can't stay to listen to it. Why not? Well, actually, I didn't get into bed on New Year's Eve until ten minutes of eleven. I've got to catch up on my sleep.
9: <laughs> and so, as Philip Boynton faded slowly into the west, I bade him farewell in true Zulu fashion by saying, Bimba Which means... How can you leave now? Jack Benny has switched over to CBS.
11: <laughs> Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous
8: dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. <laughs>
11: Men, do you shave with a lather or brushless shave cream? Palmolive shaving cream comes both ways, and whichever way you prefer to shave, you'll find that using either Palmolive brushless or Palmolive lather shaving cream can bring you more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Here's the proof. 2,548 men tried the new Palmolive way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they had shaved before, three out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Get Palmolive Brushless or Palm Olive Lather Shaving Cream today. For
8: mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Stay tuned now for Lum and Abner, Bob Lamont speaking.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler, followed by Ozzie and Harriet. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.